All right. Well, it's wonderful to be here together. Wonderful to see all your faces. Wonderful to sing with you. And I look forward to diving into God's Word with you. We are back in the book of Philippians after a short little break um, last week to focus on the resurrection. And specifically, we are in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to the beginning of verse 18. Read, uh, follow along with me, please, as I read the passage to you. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. (coughs) If you were to evaluate your life at the moment, if you were to ask yourself the question, how are things going? How do I think my life is going? What specific aspects would you evaluate? How would you come to some sort of a conclusion, some sort of an answer to that question? How is my life going? How are things going? Would you evaluate things like your health? Would you consider your income level? Are you achieving your goals in education, your goals in career? Would you be thinking about things like your stress level? Would you be thinking about things like how obedient and respectful your children are? Accolades at work, relationship with family, depth of friendships. What sort of things would you evaluate to consider how well your life is going? Well, what things you would evaluate probably depends on what you value the most and what you believe is most important in life. And we see that even here in the Apostle Paul. See, in this passage, Paul is essentially answering the question, Paul, how are you? How are things going? The Philippians were concerned for him and had sent Epaphroditus to visit him and care for him. And amongst other goals, this letter that he sent back to them, this letter we have in our Bibles, the book of the Philippians, seeks to update the Philippians on how he is doing and to thank them for their ministry to him. He's already greeted them, he's thanked them, he's prayed for them, and now he turns to updating them. So, how is it going for Paul? Well, first and foremost, first and foremost, He wants the Philippians to know how it is going with the advance of the gospel. 
That's what he evaluates first and foremost. That's what he thinks is the most important update for him to share. While many people may have assumed that the ministry Paul had must have come to a grinding halt now that he is in prison, he wants the Philippians to know that that isn't true. In fact, as he tells them in verse 12, what has happened to him has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Now, of course, Paul is a missionary, and the Philippians support him in his ministry. So we may not be very surprised that this is the subject he updates them on first and foremost. But this same Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that the work of the ministry has been given to every Christian. And the Great Commission that Dumi read for us earlier today was given by Jesus to all his disciples. When you evaluate your own life, a big part of what you should ask is how are things going with the advance of the gospel? You should want to seek to glorify God in doing your work with excellence, no matter what field or career you're in. You should want to glorify God in godly character and many, many more categories. But every Christian should also ask, how am I doing with the advance of the gospel? In other words, how am I doing with evangelism and discipleship? To make disciples is both to make new converts, to tell people about Jesus, to see them come to saving faith, and it's to help them, as Dumi read earlier, to observe all that Jesus commanded us, to actually live lives that obey what Jesus taught and honor him in every way. That is a task that has been given to every Christian. So this question, how am I doing in advancing the gospel? How am I doing in evangelism and discipleship is a question for every Christian. This morning we'll spend some time looking at how Paul answered that question as he looked at his own life during this particular season and we'll look to learn some key lessons from him. Lesson number one. Ministry opportunities are almost always there. Okay, Almost always in brackets. I, I, I kind of wanted to leave that out, but I didn't want to be too emphatic since the Bible doesn't necessarily make the promise that absolutely every set of circumstances we're in will bring gospel opportunities. But the Bible does show us that God is 100% in control of every detail of this life. And he is at work in every situation for the good of his people and for his glory. Even when it doesn't look like it. Perhaps even especially when it doesn't look like it. Think back to last week. Jesus is dead. No, he isn't. Not for long anyway, right? He conquers death. What looks like defeat is actually victory. In this situation Paul's in, many people may have assumed, as we've already said, no ministry opportunities can be taking place while he's in prison. But Paul tells them he's actually had loads of opportunities. And the gospel is advancing. Not just loads of opportunities, but it can also be argued 
unique opportunities. The people Paul is reaching, these Roman soldiers, these Roman guards, are not people that it was would have been particularly likely for him to be reaching during the normal course of his ministry. Okay? The whole imperial guard, and he says others also. So others who are just familiar with the fact that he's in prison, perhaps uh, other officials associated with his imprisonment, responsible for various things with his imprisonment. They've heard that he is a prisoner for Christ, that he is there for Jesus and for Jesus only. He doesn't elaborate on exactly how this has happened, but we know from his way of life in general that he is someone who is eager and bold to tell others about Jesus every opportunity he gets. We know from when he was imprisoned in Philippi, that he's saying praises to God in prison. And we know that while he's been in prison, he's been receiving visits from Christians coming from various parts of the world, from different churches, to come care for him, visit him, fellowship with him, encourage him. So between the guards hearing about Jesus from Paul directly, or from his surprisingly joyful singing, perhaps in the evenings in the prison. What they hear in his conversations with these visitors, more and more guards start to take note. This is an innocent man. And he's only in prison because of his devotion to his resurrected Lord that he talks about. Think of a passage like First Peter 3, 14 to 16. As a whole, 1 Peter is a book about conducting ourselves well when we are in difficult situations, trying situations. In this particular passage, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, Peter exhorts us to always to be, always be ready to speak of the hope within us. And in context, the idea here is that in the midst of trials, we've got such a peace about us, such a hope about us, that people want to know what the reason is for our hope. How are you so happy given your circumstances? Can you imagine how often that may well have happened with the Apostle Paul in prison? How many gods may have said to him, you know you're locked up in prison, right? What are you singing about? What are you happy about? And then Paul tells them about Jesus. They talk amongst themselves about this strange prisoner. And the word spreads. It becomes clear throughout the guard. Throughout the, the group of the guards. That not only is this man innocent. But that he is so devoted that he believes so deeply in Jesus that he's willing to suffer and sacrifice. He's willing to be imprisoned for him and is still joyful about it. And they have to realize there's something special here. Something unique here. It wasn't Paul's plan to be in prison. And brothers and sisters, oftentimes God's plan is not our plan. Oftentimes, things don't go the way we want them to go. But what we know from Scripture, 
God is on his throne and he has his purposes. We can get so stuck on how things have not gone according to our plan that we miss what God has in store for us in the circumstances we're in, the opportunities he has for us right here, right now in our lives. If God is totally in control and if he is as wise as he is, then we should assume he's probably got ministry for us right where we are. Look for it and be proactive and diligent to make and take opportunities that are there. Second listen. The second way that God is working through this situation that Paul's in um, is the, there's the effect that his imprisonment is having on other Christians. So the second lesson for us to learn is that ministry is bigger than you. Ministry is bigger than you. As important as it is to be diligent, to look for opportunities and to take opportunities, as much as I want every one of you to be proactive about that, to be gospel people, to be people who evangelize and disciple, who seek to make the most of their lives to that end, to the advance of the gospel. It's also important that you realize ministry is bigger than you. Verse 14 tells us, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul may be in prison, but there's a lot of Christians that aren't. And so what God does is he mobilizes those other Christians. Even the Apostle Paul, in a sense, right? we can rightly say God didn't need him. Even the Apostle Paul. And he's behind bars. God mobilizes other believers to get on with the work that Paul has no opportunity to get on with. Once again, we see that God's plan is working in ways we might not expect. We might not expect to see big sign-ups of new missionaries. If the, well, rather, we might expect to see big sign-ups of new missionaries. If the report on Paul's life was that everything, in, everything was going super comfortably for him. And this missionary thing was actually turning out to be uh, quite, a, quite a, a lucrative, high-paying career, right? That's when we might expect to see more and more people putting up their hands and saying, me, 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 let me, let me go too. But no, word is getting out about Paul's beatings. Word is getting out about the trials that he's facing. Word is getting out about him being in prison. And rather than people shying away from missionary service, they're stepping up. Challenged and charged by Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel. Challenged by his faithfulness. Other Christians are stepping up to the plate. Eager to follow his example. And emboldened, encouraged by how God has faithfully helped him, empowered him to endure despite the many trials he's faced. Some of you may have heard of Jim Elliott, or 
Uh, maybe you've, you've uh, ladies would have read uh, books by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. But Jim Elliot, Nate Saints, and a few other friends had been at a Christian college together called Wheaton in the United States. And they had this dream of taking the gospel to unreached people groups in the Amazon. Very, very warlike people groups in the Amazon jungle. This is in the 1950s. And on a, on, a, on, a, on a trip to try and make initial contact with these people, <coughs> all the men in this missionary group were killed in the 1950s. Um, most of them left behind young wives, young children. It was a terrible tragedy. But God used this to mobilize dozens and dozens of young adults over the next two decades. Um, Over the next two decades in particular, but honestly, right up to this very day. Um, Pastor Josh plants at Living Home Church. Uh, One of his primary, uh, 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 I guess, heroes in the faith. One of the primary reasons he became a missionary was Jim Elliot's story. Okay? God used this in incredible ways. A couple points of application with this. We've got to be humble. We need to be humble. Okay? Um, as I've said, definitely, let's, let's, let's keep the first point in mind. We want to look for opportunities. We want to take opportunities. We want to trust that God has opportunities for us. Ephesians 2 tells us He's prepared good works for us to walk in, and we should walk in them. Okay? However, we also need to remember God is so much bigger than us, and He does not need any one of us. Okay? We need to humbly realize what a privilege it is that He would use us at all. Okay? And to realize that He is always able to use other servants, raise up other servants. He's so much bigger than us. Next, who can you look to as an example of faithfully advancing the gospel, especially in the face of difficulty? Whose example can you be spurred on by? If we realize that this is the way God works, that he motivates people and spurs people on and boldens people by the faithful example of others, then let's look for those examples. Maybe you should read about Jameliot. Maybe you should read about other heroes of the faith. Maybe you should study and meditate more on the life of Paul. But in general, look for an example that can spur you on and encourage you to greater boldness, greater faithfulness, greater perseverance for the Lord. Seek to be an example also in the ways that you can. A big part of God, a big part of how God uses any of us to spread the gospel is not just in how we personally engage unbelievers, but in how we impact other Christians who will themselves engage unbelievers. Okay? Don't underestimate how much God may use 
your example. You may think, oh, I'm just, I'm just a nobody. But especially if, if you are faithful through difficulties, persevering, continuing to sacrifice and, and suffer even for the gospel, you may be surprised how much God uses you to encourage others. Stay faithful, stay hopeful, stay joyful. And God may well use you to spur on others, at least on some level. Okay? And for, for most of us, most of us will be parents. Uh, not all of us. But most of us will be parents. And at the very least, may it be true that our children are encouraged to live the Christian life because they, they can think of our example and they can know that this truly was something that we valued, something that we invested in, something that, that mattered to us, something that we were willing to sacrifice and suffer and persevere for. The third, third lesson for us to learn this morning is that ministry is about God, not you. Okay? Ministry is about God, not you. It's difficult to know exactly what Paul is talking about here, uh, at the end of our passage, because he doesn't give us specific details. But out of this group of believers he's talked about, who have become more bold and courageous because of his imprisonment, there's at least some of them, while some of them have pure motives, there's at least some of them who are motivated at least partly by envy and rivalry. And there seems to be even a, a bit of a, a spitefulness about almost rubbing, rubbing in their success uh, while Paul is stuck in prison. They see an opportunity to become more famous, more recognized in Christian circles, and they're pursuing that for their own personal ambition. Yeah. I, I can I can get to be now, uh, you know, the, the the one people talk about more than Paul because what's Paul going to do? He's stuck in prison. So let me let me take this opportunity. And it's yeah, we should note that Paul is very differently very differently here. Even though he's talking about something negative, it's 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 not he's not talking about false teachers, okay. If he was talking about false teachers, he would be much, much more critical. We see in places like Galatians 1, right? Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He has nothing positive to say about people who teach about a false God or a false way of salvation. They're leading people astray. They're leading people to hell. Nothing positive to say, right? So that's not what's happening here. Rather, the true God and the true gospel are being preached, but they're being preached by people who are using ministry at least partly for their own selfish ambition. They want to climb the ladder of ministry success, and they want the recognition and honor that comes with it. It's a bit, well, it's definitely sad and a bit, it's obviously twisted that Christians should work this way. Um, but brothers and sisters, unfortunately, this should not be surprising to us. Right? 
What does the Bible tell us? Selfishness and pride are right at the core of sin. Right at the core of sin. To be pursuing me. And that includes our sinfulness. Yours and mine. Right? But every genuine Christian has been forgiven for their sin and has begun to fight and kill their sin. The temptation to take things and make it about us is sadly something that's going to be with us until we're glorified. It's something that's going to be with us until the day we see Jesus and we're made fully like him. So it shouldn't be surprising to us. As much as we see it's ridiculous, as much as we see it's not fitting for a Christian, it shouldn't be surprising to us when we see it in others, and it shouldn't be surprising to us when we see it even in our own hearts. Do you ever find that your prayer in GC is that little bit longer and that little bit more super spiritual sounding when a certain pretty girl is there? Um, Or do you maybe find that this new friend who's so on fire for the Lord that's been a big encouragement to you, uh, you find that you start uh, feeling a little bit differently about them when you notice that all the girls have been encouraged by his spirituality as well, right? Um, we can we can go and we can take good things and we can get jealous of them, right? Or things that we should be doing and should be doing for good reasons, we can take them and we can, we can try and use those things to turn the spotlight on us. There's a reason Jesus warned us to pray in private rather than to pray showy prayers in public and why he warns us to be discreet when we're generous, right? Not even our left hand should know what our right hand is doing. There's a reason also why certain ministry opportunities Things like being on the worship team or being a preacher or being somebody who leads GC. Uh, It's easier to find volunteers for things like that than it is to find volunteers for things that are behind the scenes that get little notice. Brothers and sisters, we need to be on the lookout for this in our own hearts. We need to assume that it's there. Assume that it's there, look for it, and when you find it, be diligent to put it to death. Thoroughly. Okay. And the answer is not that you never pray in public, or not that you ever serve in ways that can be seen. No, obviously not. We have to do these things, right? But it means that we need to get in the pattern of closely evaluating what is going on in our hearts, and taking that to God in prayer. God, please search my heart. Help me to only have pure motives. Okay. Something, a little saying I've memorized to help me with this is, may I seek to bless, not impress. Okay. May I seek to be doing this for the good of others, not for their opinion of me to be raised, right? To bless, not impress. And for God's glory, not my own. I want to do this to help others and to put the spotlight on God. Okay? Not to put the spotlight on me.
And as I prayerfully identify motives that shouldn't be there, I then ask God to forgive me for them, and I ask Him to help me steer clear of them as I press on and seek to do the right thing for the right reasons. Paul was able to be excited about Jesus being preached, even when he wasn't at the forefront of what God was doing, because he could remember this truth. This isn't about him. It's about God. Ministry is not about us. It's about God. We're excited about what God is doing through this church plant, and brothers and sisters, we should be. We should be. But we should also be excited about what God is doing in and through other churches. And so imagine a scenario like perhaps five years from now, we've only grown by five or ten people, right? But another church plant somewhere else in Pretoria is 250 people strong. We should be praising God for that. We should be filled with joy because what God is doing there, rather than sulking, that he isn't doing more here. Okay? We can only get truly excited about what God is doing through others if our real heartbeat and passion is God's glory, not our own. So let's recap here. Like Paul, we want to be people who prioritize gospel ministry in our lives. To do this well, you need to realize... Number one, ministry opportunities are almost always there. Trust God's plan in your circumstances and look for and take opportunities. Secondly, ministry is bigger than you. God doesn't need you. First of all, secondly, be encouraged by the faithfulness of others and seek to be an example of faithfulness yourself, especially in hardship. And then lastly, number three, ministry is about God, not you. Rejoice whenever the gospel advances and whenever Jesus is praised, even when God is using others more than he is using you. May God be at work in and through us to advance the wonderful good news about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. Thank you.